First Kings chapter 18 is where we want to pick it up. Um, and so go ahead and open up your, um, your pamphlets out, you know, inserts or, and or Bibles or phones or apps or so forth. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. It kind of lets put things into perspective. Elijah has been prepped. He's been training for the fight. He's got to lose some unneeded pounds, if you will. So he's got some emotional toxins he needs to kind of, if you will, kind of drive out so that he can be the person that he's going to need to be here with listening and obeying. He has been driven to two different places since standing before the king three and a half years ago. Uh, the first is a place called the Brook Kharit. Kharit, by the way, means to chisel or to carve, and it's a place of carving. Don't miss that. Because the first thing is God starts to prepare you for the battles you're going to face. Uh, one of the things is he's just going to want you to get you chiseled. <laughs> he's just going to want to get you carved away from this stuff that you just don't need anymore. Because let's face it, if, you know, you know, if Shamar knew that somehow there was this guy and he wanted to fight him and he gave him three months, you know, chances are he's going to try to probably buff up and trim down, not because he's fat, but it's like, you know, he's just kind of, he's going to want to make sure he's in good fighting weight. And we talk about that being a fighting weight. Well, and obviously that's something God does with each of us. You've got to be aware of the fact, right, that no matter where you're at in life, you're going to face challenges. You know, I mean, the fact that you face challenges just means you're alive. And Jesus never promised a life without challenge or a life that was just going to be simply all comfort in, uh, in this world, but he promised to be our comfort in this world. And that's two very different things. And a matter of fact, it's our challenges that actually draw lots of other people to Jesus through us. Because, it, you know, when we're all kind of like, things are all kind of cool and we feel like it's all kind of awesome. And then, you know, things are all kind of falling into place. Well, of course, people are going to be like, of course, he praises God because look at all the good stuff he has. But just like Satan said about Job, you take away that stuff, that guy will curse you to his face, to your face. And the moment you hit a rough time and you're like, I'm not bailing on God. Well, you really see the difference. And, and let me just put it this way. You can commit to not doing bad or you can commit to doing good. I'm trying to talk about the positive things here. The things that you commit to not doing bad about will be proven in temptation. Just con consider that. Like, let's just say, though this isn't the case, that Blue Go has a problem sniffing glue. And, uh, you know, he likes to skate and sniff glue. And, and it's like, but he doesn't want to do that anymore. Well, you will know that his, the, the, the depth of his commitment when those temptations arise, where he can actually go back to doing the wrong thing. Does that make sense? On the other side of it, we want to commit to doing good. Well, actually, that's not going to be shown as much, perhaps, in temptation as it will be in challenge. You know, where you really want to do something right. Like, for instance, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's sort of like Jaden's in a place where he just wants to be a professional wrestler. You know, and uh, he's just been always dreamed of putting on the mankini, giving himself a cool name and getting some kind of funky tattoo. Anyways, and it's like he knows, though, that every morning he's going to have to get up and train. He's going to have to start working on learning the moves and learning how to kind of assess an individual and how to pretend like he's ill, uh, you know, or hurt. But, but maybe he plays football, so he's already got that. But, you know, I mean, all of that to say that somewhere in it, he's got to actually and every morning he's going to wake up and his body's going to go, what's wrong with you? You know this bed's comfortable and it's warm. It's cold. You, you get out of these covers. It's cold. And nobody else is getting up right now. And you realize the reason I say that is when you commit to doing good, it's the challenges that will actually prove your commitment. When you commit to not doing bad, it will actually be the temptations that will prove it. Well, I mean, we're going to see a bit of that here with Elijah. And the chiseling 
just helps prepare him for this challenge we're going to see tonight. We've been waiting for. But it wasn't just the Bukharit that he went to. He also went to a place called Zerafat. And Zerafat, by the way, means the crucible, the, the smelting, the place where you put the metal in the fire so it burns out the toxins, the things that actually aren't precious metals, so that all that's left is the real valuable stuff. Now, the Bible tells us that trials happen like that in regards to our faith. It says trials have come that your faith, which simply means trust, that is of a greater value than gold, which would perish even though it's refined by fire, that your faith would be proven genuine and result in praise, honor, and glory when Christ is revealed. In other words, when you are put in a trial, your faith is being put in the fire so that all the things that are kind of really don't belong there kind of work their way out. So all you're left with is you and God. Well, and that's really where Elijah's been. In other words, I don't think if you were there hanging out with Elijah, he would say, check it out, I'm in training. What he would say is, man, life is rough. I mean, you don't understand. And yet all of this has been preparation for this showdown. Now hear me, and again, please, like always, don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. But understand, now he's showing up at this, this challenge you know, the king in Israel at the time is the most wicked to date. He has 850 false prophets on payroll. They've been murdering the real prophets. And he's going to go and basically call their bluff and say, you really think your thing's a god? Well, let's just see. So he comes. He's carved, relying on God. He's now smelted to humble compassion and possession for God's people. And he shows up in verse 21. One last thing, and we'll get into our text. When Elijah showed up three and a half years ago, he said there wouldn't be any rain until he said so. For three and a half years, there's been no rain. For three and a half years, it's been dry. We've been weak. If any of you have ever been dehydrated, it's really not a lot of fun. You, you don't see straight. You can't think straight. You don't have your strength like you do. You don't have your balance like, you, like you've done before. It's a, I mean, it's not just that like, wow, I'm really thirsty. There's a whole lot more to it than that. And the reason I say that is for three and a half years, there's been no rain here. And what the people really want is rain. That's what they want. That's, that's a no-brainer. But what God's going to show tonight is you don't get the rain without the fire first. And Elijah is going to call them to it. So look at it with me, verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, we'll follow him. If Baal, will then follow him. And the people answered not a word. You know, one of those places where nobody wants to say anything. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. And let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I will repair the other bull. I'll lay it on the wood and I'll put no fire under it. Then you call in the name of your gods, and I'll call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, well, he's God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now, start here with me and let's go right to prayer. Pray with me, would you please? Oh, God. Let your word burst open and come alive for us. Captivate us tonight. May we be so drawn in. May we understand what in the world you want us to understand here. And may we have so much 
fun in your word. Make us the family you ordained us to be tonight. Make us the people you want us to be. And Lord, may we just get it, please. So Lord, now, just keep our interest, keep our attention, and take our focus, Lord, and put it on you. And then let your word, Lord, just come around us. And may we hear your voice. And may we see your love. And may we get it, Lord. I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon me, that you would immerse me in your spirit so these precious brothers and sisters would see you. And I pray, God, that you would do through me what only you can do. So speak now a word into each of our lives or more and draw us in, Lord, that we could be forever changed as a result of this. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been three and a half years since the king has seen Elijah until just recent. And for three and a half years, there's been no rain. The last time, all we really know about the guy physically is that he's hairy and he wears a belt. I don't even know if he wears nothing else. That's all we know. I mean, maybe he's just so hairy, it really doesn't matter. I don't know. But I do know this. He's so hairy that later they'll say, who's that guy? What did he look like? And they'll say he was hairy and he wore a belt. And they're like, oh, that's clearly Elijah. So that's kind of what he's known for, the hairy belted guy. And he's called a Tishbite. We don't even know what that means. Who's biting? Anyways, the whole idea is, is that it's just some place that this guy shows up. He's from, you know, at least we just know that he's coming from the area of Gilead, which is on the other side, the east side of the Jordan. And he just shows up and he goes, look it, there's going to be no rain until I say so. And then God says, go. And he runs. And that was it. The king's just kind of sitting there. He's kind of doing whatever kings do. And this guy shows up out of nowhere. And he's, a, he's the prophet who listens. And God says, go tell the king this. And imagine that's you. And God says, you need to go and tell Queen Elizabeth this. And you're going to run and say, well, until this happens, you know, we're not talking about political. And we're not talking about, well, unless you get Brexit right or, you know, and unless you do this with Trump or whatever. We're talking about until you're willing to get on your face before the living God who made you. There's just going to be no rain. But he goes, so here's the deal. There's going to be no rain. And then he just, just, just bolts out. And you can see the king going, what was that? And then the guy hides in this brook. And then the guy's brought to Zarephath. And then all of that, for three and a half years, it's just getting dry and no one's eating. And everybody's starting to starve to death. And then Elijah shows back up. And as Elijah shows back up, he shows up before the king. And the king calls him the troublemaker. And Elijah's like, what, I'm the troublemaker? We're not in this problem because of me. We're in this problem because of you, king. Because you've run from the living God who called you to him, and clearly you have no interest in obeying. Understand, he didn't say you have no interest in saying his name, or you have no interest in calling yourself Jewish or any of that. He says the problem is you just have no interest in obeying him. But it's not just you. You just represent the people, and the people are just like you. So this is what I need you to do. Go and call all those people over here. And when you call all those people here, we're going to have a showdown. Now get out those false prophets you've put on staff and we're going to do and we're going to set this thing up. And the king goes, okay. Nice king. Now, Elijah starts, now understand, Elijah doesn't just start by picking a fight with the prophets. Elijah doesn't start by addressing the king now. He's already done that. He talks to the people. And I really like that. And his question here in verse 21, I pray, I've got to tell you, for the last two weeks, 
you know, I love to walk with Scripture and then kind of wrestle with it until it kind of gets me in a chokehold and I sort of slap the mat, you know, and this is the verse for me. Elisha's looking at the people. He turns to the people and they're all gathered. And imagine what it would be like the ten northern tribes, they're all gathered together here. And as they're gathered, Elisha looks at them and he goes, How long? How long is it going to be? What is it going to take? That's what he's saying. How long will you falter? And the word falter, for what it's worth here, the word here, the best life, is the word which means to skip or to limp or to pass over. But understand what he's saying. Between two opinions, how long are you going to try to play both sides like this? How long are you going to really try to get the good things from God and still get all this stuff from the world at the same time? When are you going to commit? When are you going to get to that place where one is worth your commitment? Because if you're going to play this for the rest of your life, this isn't going to work out for you. Now, please hear me in this. This is a message I need to hear, not just you. I need to hear this because somewhere in the last 20, 30 years, the church has gotten this place where it's kind of like, I'll tell you what, the world's for fun and God's for saving. So as long as you kind of bank your get out of hell free card with God, well, then just go and do whatever the world you want to do because he's just going to forgive you anyways. And it's like, but Elijah's not saying that, is he? Elijah's not like, hey, well, isn't it kind of cool? We get to do whatever we want. And then in the end of it all, make sure you're cool with God. He's like, look at It's time to make a choice, man. It's time to make a choice. Now, understand, we, <laughs> I had never asked a girl out in my life till I asked my wife out. Do you know that? I, I didn't even know how to do something like that. Now, I, I, I had... I mean, we, in the, the, the circle we ran in, you know, people just, it's like friends. Everyone just sort of hangs out and you're everyone's friend for some period of time. But I never asked anyone out. And when I met my wife, to be honest, she, um, the Lord just put her on my heart in a way I couldn't stop praying for her. I was like, man, God. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be praying for her. And it was like, and then the Lord said, you need to ask her out. I'm like, I'm reading the Bible going, where in the world does it show you how to ask a girl out in Scripture? And like, hey, you want to come to a study? I mean, it's, you know, it's, and so I, and I understand my, Suzanne at the time, we had kind of had a bit of a relationship. She was actually the assistant to the director of a movie, and they were hiring somebody to write the soundtrack. And so I was the guy they were hiring to write the soundtrack. That was kind of how, that was, it was a business relationship, just business until this moment. Now understand again, I never asked a girl out. And I give her a call on the phone. Because I don't know. How else do you do this? And I'm like, hey, um, this is Tony. Hey, Tony. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, do you um, want to go see a movie tonight? And she says, no. I'm thinking... Lord, you told me to ask God. Are you? I mean, I'm just. I'm picturing God up there with like Gabriel and Michael Angelo. You guys, watch this. <laughs> no, <laughs> please, gonna do it again. Watch it. Watch it. Hold on, hold on. Shh, 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 shh. You know, and I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm an optimistic guy, so I'm like, she just probably doesn't like movies. So I'm like, all right, um, I'm just like a walk on the beach. Just you, know, you and I will just walk and talk. No. Hmm. Now I'm trying to figure out how to hang up the phone with any shred of dignity left, right? And I'm like, at this point, it actually, there's a weird sense of relief because I go, 
oh, I kind of get it, God. You did this to humble me. Because if I never asked anyone out, I would have went, well, of course they would have said yes. You know, and now here I am, I'm humble. And so I'm just kind of like, uh, oh, okay, thanks. Uh, I'll see you around. And as the phone is leaving my face, she says, hey, 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 hey. You'll have to ask her side of the story because she'll probably put it in other delicate words. But this is the way I heard it. She's like, uh, you're a nice guy and I really like you. But this has to end in marriage or nothing. And I was like, what? what? I mean, one moment ago I was just leaving. It was no, no. And then we're picking out China. How does that work? And I kind of was like, no, okay, no, look at I was, I was actually better with the no because no was pretty definitive, right? So I was like, okay, cool, no, whatever. Okay, I'm going back to it because I was just falling in love with the Lord. Now my voice is cracking like I'm going through puberty. I'm like, uh, um, uh, well, look at I'm just, uh, God just told me to ask you out, okay? So I'm just trying to be obedient, okay? Can you use your help here? And she's like, okay, you can come over and we can talk. She lived with her folks, so it was nothing weird. And I just, as I look back on that story, I realize she's like, this is going to have to be committed from the beginning or this is, isn't going to make sense to me. She had already had guys sing their song, do their dance, and act like they were committed and bail. She's had all of that. She's like, I don't want to play that game anymore. And we had a guy that was on staff named, that looked just like Brad Pitt. You can imagine what that was like. And this gal that was this, like, every guy was in love with the girl and all the girls were in love with him. And they met these two. And they were just kind of hanging out and they were hanging out, but it was clear and evident that he just naturally was naturally a flirt. And, and all of that. And seriously, we had to just sit him down and go, look at dude, you are getting way too close with this girl. Either you commit or you pull the cord on this because this is just not fair to her. There really needs to be a genuine commitment. And the reason I said is I remember sitting down and realizing how difficult that conversation was, but it was kind of like, Dude, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? I mean, if this is really the girl to go for, well, then commit and be a man. And if you can't be a man, then bail and let a real man step up in that space. Now, the reason I say that is because that's what Elijah is telling every one of you tonight and me too. How long are you going to play both sides of this? I mean, it's like you talk about being engaged to God and being a Christian, but you want to live like you're single. And you're like, in essence, kind of still scouting your options, but saying Jesus is all you need. Is that really what you want to do here? And the reason I say that is, Elijah looks at these people and understands this whole showdown isn't going to be about sh- sh- uh, shutting down a king. And it isn't about just showing how false and counterfeit the false, these false guys are, the false prophets. It's first and foremost about telling the people, listen, this is about you and God. That's what this is about. This is about you and God. And you're going to have to make a choice. Look at, aren't you glad Jesus made that choice before he came to earth? Imagine if he's kind of like, like he's starting getting whipped. He's like, I'm starting to change my mind here on this whole redeeming the world thing. And then the guy's like, we're going to nail you to the cross. And he's like, okay, you know what? I'm actually not that committed. I mean, it was rough enough to kind of get beat up a little bit and mocked. But oh, come on now, this? Praise God, he was all out. And here's the most amazing part is that before I knew Jesus, I was all out mad. I mean, I was the first one off the cliff. And some of you were like that. If you told me to jump out of a plane, no problem. Strap a rubber band on my, on my ankles and throw me off a bridge, no problem. We're going to go and do something crazy, no problem. That's my natural behavior. 
And then someone's like, okay, now you've given your life to Jesus. What are you going to be like now? And I'm like, I remember going, God, make me normal. God's like, what? You were full on for your madness. Now you expect me to make you normal now? You should be full on for something good, nonetheless the best, than where you were before. How long are you going to wait, man? What's it going to take? You realize, let me say, and again, we'll get to the rest of the text, don't worry, because it really plays out quickly, but the book of Revelation, does it freak you out when you read it? Does it freak you out because you're like, wow, look, people are dying and there's like demon things coming out of the ground and this is just weird and I don't, you know, these living creatures, what in the world are those? There's something like out of, you know, anyways. And you look at all of that and you think, is this just God punishing people? I mean, look, at it. if God really just wanted to punish people, why didn't you just blast them with one second and be done with it? Why is there all of this? Can I suggest to you and consider that you really give it a read? Because the whole time, what God is actually doing is what Elijah is saying here. He's talking to people and going, when are you going to make up your mind, man? How bad does it have to get before you really actually give me more than just a couple minutes of, it, of your time? You know, where you give me the part of your heart that, that wants something, but not the part of your heart that will actually make the decisions. It's easy to commit to things that seem like they're without challenge. But if it's uphill, I have to commit to facing the challenge each day chronically. If it seems impossible, then I have to commit to the faith it's going to take to trust God with these daily miracles. But let me ask you, when do you commit to getting up early? When I suggest the night before when you go to sleep to give time for it. When do I commit to winning the fight? a whole season beforehand when I train for it? When do I commit to being bold for Jesus? Before the faces come. Before I look and I freak out because someone's going to give me a weird look. And I can remember Jeremiah when he tells God he's so young and he says in Jeremiah 1.7, actually verse 8, when he says, don't be afraid of men in their faces. When do I commit to following Jesus no matter what? Before the matter what happens. That's just the way it works. You commit to the diet before you actually show up at the bakery so you don't go to the bakery at all. You commit to sobriety before you go out to the pub because you really shouldn't be at the pub at all if that's the case. In the simplest sense, you commit to commit. You commit to waking up and saying, today, I'm yours. And tomorrow you wake up and say, today, I'm yours again. And I think there's a pretty amazing thing on that. Then Elijah says in verse 22, I'm alone and left a prophet, which by the way, uh, Obadiah had already told him that a hundred of them were shoved in two caves that he had hit himself. But I don't think Elijah's getting that. Well, there's a positive and a negative to that. The negative is obviously Elijah's not listening to Obadiah who had told him that. But the positive is, even if he thinks he's the only guy left standing, it hasn't stopped him from standing. Have you noticed that? I mean, it isn't like Elijah at this particular moment is standing there with anyone else on his side. Have you noticed? It isn't like Elijah's there. And let me just say this. This is part of what it means to commit. It's committing when nobody else will stand with you. It's committing when other people that you even knew that you actually thought were actually pretty awesome people bail and actually take the other side. Do you still commit? Exactly. What depths of commitment do you actually possess? Because he committed and he decided before nobody else would come and he would back off. Instead, 
he decided instead he was going to have to stand alone, that he was going to stand alone. He was going to be definitive enough so that people would join him later because he actually knows where he stands. Are you going to be willing to do that? You know, Paul would actually talk about it. He says, you know what, my first defense, nobody stood with me. He said, God, don't, don't charge him with that. He goes, oh, okay, the Lord stood with me. Don't miss that. But I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like. Paul planted all of these churches and there were all of these pastors that he saw come to Christ and raise up himself. And then he just kind of calls and he's like, you guys, I need character witnesses. I'm going to stand before Rome. They want to rip my head off. And nobody shows up. I can't even imagine what it would be like. Guys, where, where are you? But it didn't stop him from standing. This Baal that they're going to be calling in now. Baal's name means master or owner. What a nice name. Syrophoenician, his name is actually Baal Shaman, which means the owner of heaven. He's the god of sun and storms, and he rides on a bull on the clouds and he throws lightning. That's kind of what he's kind of known for. He's also in charge, interestingly enough, of storms. Well, what do storms provide that's positive? Rain. Kind of a thing we need here. You ever wonder why God pulled the rain other than from Deuteronomy when he said, if you don't want to obey me, we're going to pull out the rain. Understand what God's saying. He's like, what, you turn into this guy for this? You turn into this punk? And he is actually, he's the one who's going to give you the water? Well, let's just see how that works for you. And for three and a half years, nothing's happening. So get this. For what's worth, they kept the fire constantly burning so that it in essence could ask, for that lightning to come down. And every time they saw lightning, they're like, well, that's clearly Baal or Thor, but he's not around yet. You know, and the priests officiated barefoot, which to me sounds nuts. So here you are, you're, you're asking for lightning and you're running around in wet ground barefoot. Hello. Does that sound weird to anyone other than me? You know, anyways, that's, you know. And they danced and they kissed the image. We'll see that in the next chapter. At a place called Ugarit, which, by the way, is in northern Syria today. That's called Rashamna. Uh, it actually, there was a seven-year cycle because the other thing he was responsible for was fertility. So the idea was simply, every seven years, this guy kind of went to battle against a god named Mot, and basically, who is the god of infertility and sterility. So guess what? So if, if you know, Baal won, you would see lightning. And if you saw lightning, what that means is we have a baby. That's what that means. And uh, interestingly enough, in all of this, because he was the king of fertility, if you will, he sired a bull. Don't ask. I don't want to know either. Uh, and he was romantic with his sister enough, but, you know, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Uh, you can, you'll probably read it in the sun somewhere. Uh, Balk is convinced, by the way. So what had happened as a result of that, he kind of wooed uh, Asherah, who was a god, by the way, of, of pleasure, and her husband, by the way, to build him a palace. And they said, build me a palace. And they built him this palace with 100, I'm sorry, it was 10,000 acres. And we call that place Mount Carmel. Don't miss that. So here's the story. And again, forgive me for even running this, but it helps us understand what's, what's going on here. That this false god that throws lightning bolts and rides a bull that he had sired, by the way. You probably know what that means, right? That means that he's his dad. Well, uh, anyways, in all of this, Riding on clouds, supposed to be giving rain, said to, you know, to this, you know, to El and to his wife, Asherah, hey, you guys, I really need a palace. I can't seem to find one. And they go, well, we'll just make you one. Here's a big mountain range. You can have this. You know, it's like five miles wide. And, and then he goes, okay, so this is my, this is my place. So what Elijah says is, okay, so there's no rain. We're already showing you a phony. So let's just do this. Let's take that bull of yours. Let's kill him. 
Let's put them on a, let's, let's go to your house. That's Mount Carmel. We're going to go to your house. Hello, is Baal home? And we're going to kill your bull on Baal's land. And then just, let's, why don't, why don't we just ask for lightning? I mean, if it was ever a chance for Baal to be real, this would be the easiest day for him in life. It was all that he did. That's all that he does. That would be like, Adam, we want to prove you're real. If you could just smile and charm someone. Or Hugo, if you could just kind of be funny. You know, it's like there's like certain things that just seem to come natural. And the reason I say that is, is that this was the stuff they said he did. In 1868, they built a monastery there. Uh, by the way, uh, it was called El Muracha. Muracha means the sacrifice. Uh, interesting that the Arabs have a word for it here, and the word is Meracha. And El Meracha literally means the place of burning from this, because of this story. So here it is. He says, here's the deal. I mean, let's, let's be up for the challenge. Come on, you guys. We're going to go to his house, and we're going to kill his bull. You think he's going to be a little upset about that? Oh, well. Okay, so... You do your altar, I'll do my altar. You kill your bull, I'll kill my bull. And then ask for lightning. We're not going to light, we're not going to set it on fire. But after all, if this is Mr. Johnny Lightning, he should be able to toss it down anytime he wants, right? So let's do that. And they go, now I remind you, he's actually talking to the people. When are you guys going to make up your mind just to show you this is for real? Let's just put this in front of you and you guys can decide for yourself. How's that? Is that fair? Give us two bulls. And by the way, you can choose your bull too. By the way, you learn a little bit about your faith here at a moment like this. If what you really want is this thing to catch fire, would you pick, you know, you wouldn't pick like the juicy cow, would you? I mean, like one that's kind of sweating already and he's kind of big and fat and all that. And then the other one's kind of old, nasty and dried up and he's kind of already fallen over. I'm like, well, I'll take that one. He catches fire easy. I don't want that asbestos cow over there. I mean, if his superpower is throwing lightning, this should be easy. So then I want you to do this. Call on the name of your God. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. And whatever one answers by fire, we're good, right? People go, it's well spoken. And you hear me and then we'll get into the challenge. We'll get into it. In the area I lived in California, there was an area called Avila Beach. It was a bay. And there was a time where an oil tanker had actually uh, spilled an unbelievable amount of oil into the water. And it went all the way over to the shore. And needless to say, there was a whole group of people that had to come and sort of do the kind of cleanup that's a billion-dollar cleanup. And they had to go and kind of filter the water and kind of wash off all the birds that now were kind of all, you know, looking very, very dark and all of that. And so by the time, that, that, that by the time they actually left, what you were left with then was a beach that um, was no longer oily. They kind of drove, you know, they got rid of it all. And you go, well, thank you. That was a clear and obvious change. I mean, one moment the whole place was just covered in tar and, and petrol, and then the next moment, if you will, well, after a period of time of several weeks, the whole thing was clean again. Birds were there, fish were back swimming in the sea that you could see and, you know, from your sight. Everything was obviously a lot better. But the best part is that after all that happened, a group from Santa Cruz... Now, I know you probably don't know what Santa Cruz is, so just picture this. Picture long beards, Birkenstock shoes, everybody's a vegan by requirement, and they're, all, they're basically like hippies that never stopped being hippies, that had kids that were required to be hippies. 
No. So they came, and I kid you not, and they were coming, and they brought their drums. Of course, there's always drums involved. And they brought their drums, and they go, we have come to heal the beach. And I'm like, that's awesome. You're going to heal the beach. How, in what way is it sick? Well, it was sick from all that oil. Okay. So exactly how are you going to heal the beach? We're going to play our drum vibes. Now, you're probably aware, the only other place you're going to find that around here is like your shop. Anyways, right? And so these guys all came, and it's like, you know, they stripped down into stuff so that we all left. And they were just, ba 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 Oh, heal, heal, go to heal. And they just went at it for, I don't know, however so long, way too long for me to be there. And then afterwards, they went and said, we just want you to know the beach is healed. How in the world are you going to know? I mean, the problem is you're like, it didn't look any different than it did before you started banging. You know, but you can, it's amazing. And that's the reason I say that is there's so much out there that says, this is where your security is. And this is where your direction is. And this is where your peace is. And then you watch people and it's like, let's just call your bluff for a second. Okay, so you, you suck out of a bottle and that gives you peace. Do you mind if I talk at this volume tomorrow morning and see how much peace you've got? It is unbelievable how if you just stood back for a second and watched, you went, that's not peace. That's not peace at all. That's kind of a, it's in essence, it's a gentle lobotomy, but there's no peace there. So Elijah says, let's have our showdown. Let's actually see for ourselves who's for real. Talk about a guy with real faith and commitment. My mom was into the occult when I was a kid, and I remember her telling me, you need to call the psychic hotline. I was probably six or seven. And uh, so I called, you know. Again, we weren't raised Christians. And I, and I called, it's like, hello, this is like Celestina. You know, it's always a name like that, right? Hi, this is Celestina. What's your name? I went, you're the psychic. You tell me what my name is. She hung up on me. I thought, well, this thing's a sham. And the only reason is like, okay, well, just put up. Don't just tell me I'm going to meet somebody today. Faith is shown in this choosing. So they took the bull that was given, verse 26. They prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon. Now it's about three hours. Oh, Baal, hear us. Now, can you imagine how irritating that would get? Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Baal, hear us. I remind you, you're on his yard. You're, in, you're on Mount Carmel. It isn't like the guy could be anywhere else, you would think. But I love it. It says, but there was no voice and no one answered. Then they leapt about the altar which they made. Because after all, if somebody doesn't hear you, leaping always helps. You know, you're like, please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. And it's like, it's not working. It's at noon now. And Elijah's getting tired of watching this without being a part of it. So he starts to mock Look at verse 27. It was at noon that Elijah mocked them. He said, cry louder. I mean, he's God, right? Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and you got to wake him up. No, 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 don't miss this. Now, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Well, then don't do it yourself, okay? The, three, the four things he says, by the way, first of all, he says, cry aloud. Now, what he's saying is, the problem's you. I mean, after all, if he isn't responding, maybe he's not hearing you. You're just not crying loud enough. 
You ever do that? Like, I feel like I'm praying, but God's not really hearing me. What do I need to do differently? Do I need to kneel now? Or do I have to wait till I have to find a stained glass room to do this in? Is there, can I leap a little bit? Will that help? And what if I pray in King James? Lord, bring us now hither. I mean, is that what, you know, it's like God's like, that was beautiful Shakespeare, but that didn't, didn't touch me at all. You know, it's like, but you, we were like, God, what do I have to do to make you listen? Man, how sad is that? What kind of relationship could you be in with somebody that you feel like you have to perform for them to listen to you? Well, you may have children. But other than that, you know. So these are the four things he says. I'm going to ask you to say a couple words with me, if you will. The first word, the word for meditating. This is going to be a hard one. Ready? See ya. Now, come on. Give me a little bit of attitude. Now, see ya. That's the word for meditating. And it means complaining or lamenting. He's like, maybe he's actually, it's like, you know, maybe he's actually on the phone with somebody else. Maybe, you know, that's kind of the idea. Maybe he's just complaining to somebody else about you so he doesn't really want to talk to you. Second word, and this is my favorite in it, is the word for busy. And the word is suig. Try that. If I could spell that S-U-Y-G. Suig. Yes, and it means pooping. So, yeah, so there you got a good word. I mean, in essence, it's kind of like he's busy right now. Now imagine, this is Elijah, man. This is a guy with passions like us, dissing, I remind you, 450 prophets. And he's like, yeah, maybe he's like on the pooper. And so, I mean, you know, you guys asking him right now, you're going to get him angry because, you know, he's going to have to get out and be like, you know, I'm not done yet. What is it? Talk about, you know, this is Elijah. Maybe he's on a journey. Oh, or maybe he's just sleeping. Now, can I just say this? Please don't believe me for yourself. But let me just say this. Second Corinthians 11.31 tells us, my God is forever blessed. Do you know what the word blessed means? Blessed means, well, where I come from, it means stoked. You're like, yeah. It doesn't say our God is forever grumpy. Our God is forever, like GWA, God with an attitude. No, he's actually somebody that actually dwells with a smile on his face. Did you know that? He is forever blessed. And when you turn to him, it just gives him more reason to smile. He's not going, what is it, Bruno? You know, oh, hi, Bruno. You know, like you ever do that where, you know, like you're kind of in this moment and you're kind of just like, and someone calls on you like, hello, you know, you're like, yeah, that was a fake. My God's not like that. Meditating, look at the eyes of the Lord. God tells us in Psalm 34, 15, are always on the righteous. Hear me. His ears are always attentive to their cry. If you're crying out to God, he's listening, whether you know it or not. It tells us in Acts 17, 27, as Paul is giving his defense, that he's never far from many of us. And in Psalm 121, verse 3, we read that God will not allow your foot to be moved because he who keeps you never slumbers. He never sleeps and he never slumbers. My God never even takes a nap because boy, this universe would be in trouble if he even got a moment of shut eye, wouldn't it? And I don't know if Elijah knows all of that, but I do know this. Elijah knows that he's looking at a bunch of posers and he doesn't have a problem proving it. You know, amazing how the poser can look at you and go, you God's for real, prove it. They're like, well then stick around with me and see for yourself. So notice if if crying doesn't work and then crying louder doesn't work and crying with leaping doesn't work, well, where do you go next? Verse 28. 
Well, they cried louder aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. This is, And Jesus told us this in John 10.10 10, when he says that the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He wants to do this to you. If you think you have to hurt yourself for God, to get God's attention, you've got the wrong God. You know, he's saying, well, maybe he's just far away. Oddly enough, you're in his front yard. You're on Mount Carmel. Shouldn't he be here? And yet in all of it, he's like, well, maybe he's far away. And they're like, well, maybe he's far away. We should cry louder. And you know what's interesting? There is something that is because of God far away from you if you've called out to him. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. From infinity in one direction to infinity in another. He goes, that's how far your guilt is from you the moment you said yes to him. Aren't you thankful? I am. So imagine, and and at this point, by the way, I don't think that Elijah's making fun of it anymore. Because they're like, man, we really have to prove it. And they're, they're hurting themselves and blood is gushing out. And they're still not getting anywhere. Verse 29, but don't miss this. When the midday was passed, they prophesied. Wait a minute, these false prophets were prophesying? Yes, they were. That doesn't mean they were saying the right thing, telling the truth. Until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, which is roughly sundown, which is roughly, let's put, 6 p.m. If they started at 9 in the morning, somebody do the math for me. Until 6 p.m. Can anyone tell me how many hours that is? It's nine hours of calling out, jumping, leaping, cutting, bleeding. And it says, but there was no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. There was no sound, there was no answer, and there was no response. So now it's Elijah's turn. We've watched them, and please understand, if you look close at the world, you're going to see the same thing. They crowd to whatever the thing is they think will give them comfort, give them peace, give them hope, give them security. And when it doesn't work, well, it just, they cry louder they make bigger show of it, and then they start hurting themselves. Have you ever seen that? When my wife and I were first married, we lived in Huntington Beach, California. And we lived next, um, we lived in this little apartment complex, and just across the, the sort of walkway was this couple, and she was a screamer, and he was just kind of a mumbler. So because the garage for their car was actually butted into the back of our apartment, she would chase him all the way around to the other side, screaming while he would just be like, mumble, 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 until he got into the car, closed the door. She'd still be screaming as he drove off. And of course, we got the blessing of being able to hear it all the way around our apartment. Thank you very much. It's the blessing of being on an end. And I just remember trying to reach out to them. He didn't want anything to do with me, and she certainly didn't either. But I remember once I had stepped out of my apartment, and they were in, they were in one of those moments. And in that moment, he was, he's had enough. He's leaving. It's clear he's leaving. And I don't think it's the first time he's ever said that to her. And they're probably, probably in their early 20s. And um, he's got a VCR. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. It's a machine that played movies way back in the day. And, uh, you know, it's lit by a pterodactyl and a candle. But 
she was walk this was his apparently and he was walking away with it but she didn't have any part, uh, part of that so she was holding on to the other side of it and it was a bit of a tug of war and as he was pulling it she was in a pair of high heels so he was just pulling her across the pavement she was just kind of skidding if that makes sense and he's just like fine and he was like so done with this he just let go uh, and the good news is she didn't fall from that. He already been done with the tugging. And he was just like, you know what? Have your stupid VCR. I'm just done. And she looked with tears in her eyes and she said, please, please, you can't leave me. You're all I've got. And I remember looking at that, but what more profoundly was in between them was this little kid, two, three, four years old, that was clearly both of theirs. And what would it be like to hear your mother say to this man, you're really the only thing I've, I've got? And I looked and went, oh my goodness, if we could have, we would have just taken that kid and said, you need real love, kid. And the reason I say that is, that story is not that unique. It was just obviously in front of me. But when people worship the wrong thing, that's just what's going to happen. He's, sooner or later, it's just not going to fall follow through and you're going to find yourself holding on to something you don't need thinking that this is the only thing you need and it's it's been sucking life out of you ever since you started and you just don't even know it. So Elijah, you ready? Let's get to the good side. Verse 30. Elijah said to the people, now come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Step one, invite the people back to the altar. (laughs) That's where we start this. Tonight, if you really want to say, you know what? I know that I've been kind of playing both sides and I'm just kind of, I'm not committing to anything and I really want to do this. Well, let me call you back to the altar. That's where this starts. And as a representative of the living God who's in love with you and wants you and has brought you here tonight to hear this, I'm here to tell you that God starts where we start at the cross again. That's where we go. We go back to that place where your price was paid at the cross because that's where it starts. Interesting, we're going to see two altars. That's the first of them. So the people came near to him. We repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down from neglect and from, from people having nothing to do with it. And the church has bailed on the whole idea of the gospel. And we just want to recycle more religious people. He goes, let's get back to the cross. But you do realize Christianity involves two crosses. That's the easy part to miss. And interestingly enough, the the second one, nobody wants to talk about. The first one, occasionally, you'll hear it. It says in verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Interesting, not the 10 of the 10 northern tribes, of whom the, the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be called by your name. Or Israel, I'm sorry, shall be your name. Then, with those stones, he built a second altar. He built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench all around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of grain. I mean, this is a new altar. Let me say this. Please hear me, because we're almost done now. Don't lose me. It starts at the altar of Jesus Christ, at the cross, where your price was paid. But there's a second cross, the one you're supposed to pick up to follow him. And nobody wants to talk about that. We want Jesus to be, our, in essence, our biblical butler, our divine waiter, but we don't want to follow him and actually give up what we really should to follow him like we should. But you realize you don't get the life that God offers you without actually letting the things that are in your hands go that really are worthless. 
So we built this altar. And by the way, it was completely just consistent with what God had already planned. Interesting, in the last chapter, if you remember, they rebuilt Jericho, the place that was the first victory in the promised land. But right before that victory, 12 stones were taken out of the Jordan when it was stopped like the Red Sea as a testimony that God got us through this. And now there's 12 stones making an altar. So what happens? He, he actually makes it as difficult. He makes it as impossible as possible. So he, they put the, he puts the wood on the order. He takes the animal. He cuts it into pieces as he would. Puts it on top of the wood. He puts it on top of the altar. And he's like, it's, not, it's still not hard enough. I want you to go get water. Now, don't miss that. We're in the middle of a drought. Where are they going to get water? But they have to get water and they pour the water. It's evening sacrifice. By the way, it's the least amount of time as far as heat's concerned. The easiest time for something to catch fire, I would think, would be, I don't know, midday. Oh, no, we're in the evening now. And he's going, now let's just cover this thing. Let's make sure this thing is as juicy as we can make it. And so it is to the point now where the other one was kind of, by the time this is done, it's just sort of fly food. Now we have soup is what we have at Elijah's. And it says, do it a second time. And then he goes, do it a third time. Continue to pour water on it. So the water ran around the altar and it says it filled the trench that was around it. And it came to pass at the time of the evening sacrifice, of the offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, not just Jacob, but Israel, like your name would be called, let it be known this day, your God in Israel, that I'm your servant and I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And you have turned their hearts back to you again. He goes, please understand, the reason I'm asking for this sacrifice is I want you, these people, who I've told them they need to make a choice, show them how easy this choice should be. And that you really want them. And then, as he's praying that, <laughs> yeah, hello, no one's sleeping here. Fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Now imagine, we've watched for nine hours these guys jumping around, leaping, hear me, hear me, oh ball, hear me, oh hear me, and they're cutting themselves. Nothing's happening. He's like, come here, you guys, come here. Lord, look at I don't have to do anything fancy. I have no dancing here. No cutting here. Nothing fancy. But I know you want these people back. And you've already wanted them. The difference is they need to recognize, they need to make that choice. They need to commit. So God... Hold on one second. Okay. And it says that, that it didn't just consume the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. It consumed the dust. And it consumed all the water. So on one side, there's still, now here's the interesting part. On one side, we still, I mean, I imagine it's like, now it's like flies and crows are flying around that sacrifice on the other side. Still nothing's happening. It isn't like they went and they, they took their bull and went home. They're kind of still standing over there. I know that because what's going to happen. And so imagine we're kind of looking over there and we still see this thing's gotten nasty and nothing's happening over there. And over here, it's like, boom! And now there's this crater in the ground. It isn't like God just did something. He did it all the way because he wants you all the way. He's like, I'll make it clear. When the people saw it, they fell on their faces. I would. And they said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Which, by the way, Elisha's name, Eliyahu, literally means 
God is the Lord. So I don't know. It's interesting that they're calling that. Verse 40, it says, Elisha said to them, now take those, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let them escape. They seized them and Elisha brought them down to the brook Kishon and he executed them there. He's like, well, now that you guys are posers, you are fired uh, and you're definitely not coming back to it. So now don't miss this. Because imagine, Elijah could have said, don't miss this, please. Elijah could have said in our last couple of minutes, Elijah could have said, God, prove it by bringing rain right now. Isn't that what we want? We want rain. But before the rain has to come to bring life and refreshment and that vivacity back into our lives, that living water we so desperately want, first we have to get back to the sacrifice. We have to get back to the cross and show that God did all of this. We don't do it. God did it. And it comes from heaven down, not from earth up. And with that, he's like, God, show them that this is because you want them back. Because it's one thing to go, God, just give us rain so we could be happy and we could put on our floaties and we could all kind of have our time and play Baywatch. And it's another thing to say, God, I want, I recognize, I can't even have this without recognizing first you want me back and giving me back to you. Because why in the world would God want you to be that overflowing with goodness when you're not his? So can I say, God wants you miserable when you're running from him. Because he wants you. And he wouldn't want it any other way. So with that in mind, what if we ask that God bring the fire first? But the fire happens where there's a passion to say yes to a God who wants his back. A passion that says, God, I want to commit. And as I commit, even if nobody else is there and I stand alone, I want to commit. Even if I know that the odds are going to be, you know, seem stacked against me. But if you're with God, you're always the majority, you know. And it's like even when the crowd is way into that and this is the big thing and everyone's like, cool, ball, we're all about ball, yeah, we're all about ball. He's like, you guys are out of your mind, you know. Even when everybody's into that, it's, it's not going to change my mind. I am committed. And because of that, God, I want the fire in me to burn that says, God, your cross be seen. You paid for them, and you want them back, and you want them to show that. Because next week, we'll see what it takes to get the rain back. Because next week, the rain comes. But the rain is not going to come until the fire comes first. The question is, are you willing to let God put within you that real love for Him? So that... When the water comes, when the refreshment and the living water comes, it's so that other people could see it too. Will you pray with me? God, I just pray right now for every one of us, myself included. I recognize here in this room, Lord, we can come from various places and even various languages so that as fast as I talk, it may just be hard to understand. But your Holy Spirit can work through all of that and show us that, Lord, this isn't just about bringing the rain back. This is about bringing us back. That's the point. And, Lord, you don't want us just fat and floating. You want us fully yours. And, Lord, I just I go back to that first verse, and I just hear Elijah say, how long are you going to try to play both sides? Look, at if the world is really everything you want, then serve it. But if God really is God, 
the Lord really is God, then serve Him. Because you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be faithful to one and despise the other, but you can't serve two masters. And God, forgive us for ever thinking we could. And Lord, I pray tonight that in our own hearts, Lord, you would just blast the whole Lord where we have that little bit left to sacrifice and we look and we realize this is where it starts is at the sacrifice. And there then, Lord, fill that space with you. So God, I just pray here in this room as you make clear that you sent your son Jesus fully committed to be tortured, mocked, abandoned, betrayed, to hang on a cross for my sins, for our sins. But he was fully committed because he knew that there would be this night here in Covenant Garden where we would hear this and realize that the commitment has never wavered on your side, only ours. So tonight in this room, Lord, speak to us and show us our need. And let me ask, have you actually ever just said yes to that gift of Jesus, the price he paid on the cross? Because that's where it starts. We go back to that first altar that's been neglected by so many. And we put it back together and we say, this is where it starts. It doesn't start with you joining a church. It doesn't start with you giving away all your possessions. It doesn't start with you memorizing things and singing songs. It starts with you accepting the gift that only God can offer you, the payment for your guilt. The Bible says if you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Tonight in this room, if that's you, and you know it, God's made it clear, just pray this with me right now. God, I stand before you guilty in myself, in my own work, but you paid for that guilt at the cross. And I recognize nothing else can make me right with you. But when you paid for that, when you suffered and died, my punishment was fully executed just upon Jesus. And when he died, you cast my sins as far as east is from west at my acceptance. And when Jesus rose again, when you, when you rose again, Jesus, you give us a new life now where that never has to be on top of us ever again. And if you're just giving me the choice, then I say, yes, please, ignite that fire in me. And as you do, then flow from me, Lord, to help bring life to a dying world. I'm yours. I commit to commit to you, Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. God, you've heard us. Now tonight, I pray, ignite the fire in our hearts. Ignite that fire, that passion that says we're yours completely. 
so that as you pour forth your living water through us, the commitment's already there with us. So, we're yours. Use us now, we pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen.